What's up, Pickleheads? Hey, today we are answering your questions. So we're going to go through Instagram. Uh, I already went through Instagram, grabbed a few questions that I thought were appropriate. Some are beginner type questions, some are a little bit more advanced. But uh, we want to know what you specifically want to learn about the listener, the viewer. Um, so we're here to answer those. And then we'll probably, depending on how this goes, we'll probably do more of these in the in the future. I uh, got Oss on the other end. What up, Oss? What's up? Happy to be here. Hey, so let's just let's just jump right into it. First question is uh, from one of our Instagram videos. We had you showing how to do a slice serve, um, and someone had asked, "How do you do the other side?" Now I don't know for sure if they're asking as if you were serving to the opposite side of the court. Or if they're talking about, they want, I would assume that they're saying to make the slice serve kick to go to the opposite side. So when you hit, if you were facing the ball, it was going off to the right. Um, so do you want to answer that first question for them? Yeah, I would assume they weren't saying to do the latter. I would assume they were saying just like specifically the side of the court. So to answer that, it's the same exact motion. The only difference is where you're going to angle your paddle as you swing through. So you're, if you're on in the video, I'm pretty sure I'm on the odd side, serving to the odd side. So if I'm going odd to odd, I'm going to angle my paddle slightly more towards the odd side as it's open. If I'm going even side to even side, I'm going to angle it slightly more towards straight up and down rather than slightly towards that odd side. And that'll help me get to my destination. And I'm following through or swinging outward towards where I want to go. And then it's the same motion upward. So you just think outward towards where you want to go. Angle that paddle slightly more towards the odd side if you're going odd side. Slightly more upward if you're going towards the even side. And swing through to where you want to go that would be my answer what would you say in regards to the second i guess the second in interpretation of it well let's finish the first here too i think one thing too is body position uh in order for me to get my paddle usually in a certain position my body i don't know if i'm serving even side to even side my body's in a certain somewhat position facing towards the even side if my if I'm serving odd side odd side same thing my body kind of shifts that way do you change your body position much or not really so I ser I serve with open stance I used to serve with closed <clears throat> stance so my body positioning is just open on both sides maybe there's a slight movement towards either side with like, if I was going to the even side, maybe my right shoulder closes just slightly. But I would say for the most part, I just stay open on both sides. Are you closed stance as you serve? No, I'm open. But then also, I've been trying out something new, and I'll go over that in a minute. Um, at least, at least with my serve. So when I'm, what about court position, Os? So like, if I'm trying to get a serve to go out wide. Let's say I'm serving from odd side to odd side. I'm trying to get my serve to kick out 
outside of you know the court after it bounces so even farther towards the odd side typically if i want to do that on my end i'm standing closer to the t when i serve um what about position for you when you're hitting a slice serve are you closer to the t are you trying to just be like in the in the middle of your uh service half court we'll call it or are you farther towards the sideline yeah if you think about the spin so are you saying if you're going even to even or odd to odd i think i'm saying odd to odd to odd so you're saying odd to odd you stand at the t when you're doing a slice serve and i guess the no that no that's not true if i'm going if I'm going even to even, I'm standing towards the T. Okay. If I'm going odd to odd, I'm standing more towards the middle. And this is just personal preference for me. There's not a serve for me, really. I mean, if I'm trying to trick my opponent and hit the ball way out wide, whether it's slice or not, I'm I'm almost never serving from the sideline or near the sideline. I just haven't practiced over there. I don't think it's really tricking them anyway because if you see somebody push way over there, you'd think, well, they're probably just trying to get a real good angle, you know, and take me out wide. But, but yeah, so if I'm going odd to odd, I'm typically towards the middle of the service area. And if I'm going even to even on a slice, then I would be hugged up towards the T. Yep, I'm the same. And I think it depends on if I'm playing a lefty or a righty with every single serve that I hit, too. I want to stand at the tee even to even if I'm playing against a righty because chances are their backhand's worse, and hopefully I've gathered that prior to playing them. If they have a mm -hmm. better backhand than their forehand, like someone like Connor Garnett who has a, a backhand that's miles better than his forehand, and his forehand's still killer, but his backhand's just unreal and... A lot of people don't have that, but if yeah. I wasn't playing Connor Garnett and I'm playing a righty, I'm going to stand towards the tee so that I have a better angle at getting my serve to their backhand consistently. And then, like you said, standing more mid and probably not all the way out wide because if you stand all the way out wide, your opponent's going to know you're, you're going out wide, and if you don't, you're so far away from the box that you can't really hit an ace per se by hitting it up the tee from out wide because you're, that distance is so far. So, yeah, if I'm on the odd side, I'll stand about mid-court and try and get it over to their backhand. And that's where that slice serve comes in handy, is especially on the odd side, playing against a right-handed player. It's going to go to their backhand, and you're going to be able to stand a little bit out wide and really make and kick them off the court so that hopefully that next shot, now they're scrambling back in, and then you can come in for a put-away on your third right. third shot. I like it. Third or fourth, fifth, fifth shot. Let's move on to the next question here. Um windshield uh when I when we were talking a few weeks ago windshield wiper speed ups um which is I'll explain really quick. If you're speeding up to the opponent, you can kind of disguise it a little bit better by just hitting a windshield wiper speed up and still get speed on it by rotating your wrist. If you're watching this video, you can see me doing that. If you're not watching, I'm trying to describe basically a windshield, me moving my wrist from one side all the way around to the other side in the shape of, of a rainbow. 
Um, but one of the questions we had with this, and uh, I'm not using anyone's anyone's name that's on Instagram because I didn't ask them permission to do so, and I'm paraphrasing questions, so that way <laughs> that way it doesn't come back on us. Um, but uh, we appreciate the questions. Someone said, I've been trying to do this, but keep on hitting the ball into the net or it goes out. What should I do differently? So in other words, they're trying to shorten their swing. For me with tennis, that was hard to do because I was doing a big old backswing before I would speed the ball up. And now my speed ups are a little more disguised, compact. The ball's landing in a little bit more. But this person in particular, it sounds like us, they're trying to navigate through that and trying to learn how to do it. But they said it keeps, they're either hitting it into the net or hitting it out. So what advice would you have for them? That's a tricky one because it's either one or the other. You're either hitting it long or you're hitting it short. It's not really that you're either hitting it out or in the net. It's going to be if you're hitting it out or in the net, you're also hitting some in. So then it comes down to the ones that you're hitting in. What is it that you're doing? And then go and drill that. Because, I don't know, I can't really say what to do specifically if if it's both, like that you're hitting long and you're hitting short. doesn't really make sense to me. <laughs> I think so I, have to I, think I understand. It, may, it, it makes a little bit of sense to me. I think they're trying to overcompensate. So if they're hitting it in the net, then they're saying, okay, now I need to make sure and get it over. But now I'm hitting it out because I went too far. I'm overcompensating. Right. I, I, th- I think that's kind of what they're doing. I think grip might have something to do with it too. If you're, for example, us doing a forehand windshield wiper speed up, what what grip are you holding? Or what would you say the standard for someone that's just just learning to do that. Yeah. So if you're a forehand and someone that's just learning or a backhand that you're trying to do a windshield wiper, continental grip is going to be your friend. And then you need to make sure that you close your paddle face on either side, meaning to close is to put it towards the ground. So you don't want it like where it's flat towards the ground. You want it where it's at a slight angle. Uh, What would that angle be? You got 90 degrees and then you go 45 degree. I'm pretty sure it's a 45 degree angle is kind of what you want with that continental grip. Yeah, or not quite 45. Yeah. And, and what it sounds like to me, just based off of if you're also, if you're hitting it long and you're hitting it short and you're hitting it into the net, then it's too flat. So you need to get more top spin on your wiper, meaning you're hitting the ball too hard. You need to get more of a shave on the ball. Try and focus on taking the hair off of the ball more so because if you come just straight flat through it, it's going to be a hard shot into the net or it's going to be a hard shot past the baseline. So maybe what they're struggling with is getting more spin as well as that grip. I would focus on a continental grip, which do you have a paddle with you, Spencer? I don't. If not, I I do. I have one. Right here. So if you're not watching on YouTube, get on YouTube, all right? So this is Continental. Uh, It's hammer grip. This is a weird-looking paddle, but uh, it's called the sweet spot. So it's for hitting the sweet spot, just like the one that we talked about in the last pod or two podcasts ago. Mm -hmm. But you want to act like you're hammering a nail into the wall with the frame of 
your racket with the frame of your paddle, the outside edge, and then you're at the correct spot. So there's certain bevels on a paddle. You have bevel one, which comes down right here on the, on the inside edge of where you'd hold. So bevel number one, and then bevel number two, as you go directly to the right of that for a righty and directly to the left of that for a lefty. So for this purpose, if you're righty, go directly over to bevel two, you're gonna put your index knuckle there, okay? And then the most important part is where to put the bottom of your palm. So this is your palm pad right here. You wanna make sure that you are following that all the way down bevel number two, all the way down this bevel, as if you were to draw a line from index knuckle all the way down to the bottom of your palm pad. You wanna keep that on bevel number two. It should feel extremely awkward if you've never done it before, but stick with it for, even if you only play three times uh, in a week, you'll feel very comfortable with it by the third day of that week. That's going to give you a great, great backhand speed up. And then your forehand speed up, you're just going to have to focus on closing that paddle face down really, really well, getting that 45 degree angle or more so in between a 45 and a 90 degree angle be able to get more spin on it so it'll feel awkward but stick with it that's the biggest piece of advice that i could give you guys because you'll do it and you'll be like no there's no way this is right it's like yeah it is right this is what everybody starts with so and then you can adjust it from there after that feels feels normal if you want to go more towards eastern yeah and i think it's important to clarify too i don't have a paddle but i do have a ball um so we can talk about getting too much ball, like you said, or giving the ball a haircut. So giving the ball a haircut, we're lightly catching the ball as we try to put spin on it, just lightly catching the ball. We're, we're not, uh, it's not a full-on smack of the ball to where we're catching all of the ball because if you're doing that, you're either hitting it out or you're hitting it down into the net. But you kind of want to give it a haircut just to give it that little bit of spin too much and you can practice in your hand i'll do this or i did do this in the past i would just put a ball in my hand with a finger on either end lightly and practice spinning the ball in your hand and and not knocking the ball out of your hand by catching too much of the ball yeah that's great and then another point uh, some people have this issue too. They'll they'll assume that they have to somewhat burger flip in order to put spin on the ball. Um, I'm showing this to the camera, but basically my hand, my palm is up, and then I'm quickly flipping to where my palm is down. And that's not what we're saying to do. You don't want to take your paddle and do a quick burger flip of the paddle, because then you're going to bring it into the net or just miss hit it in some way. It's more of a gradual, you're, you are rotating your wrist, but your paddle face, like Austin said, needs to be more to stay at a 45 while your wrist brings that ball over. Uh, I hope that makes sense. Do you want to show that one time with your paddle loss? Yeah. Sorry, I didn't bring one. So we're keeping that same angle as we come over the ball. Hopefully this is in the frame, but we're keeping the same angle as I windshield wipe through it. I'm not going. Exactly. Just keeping the same angle as I come through. 
here's another question, Oz, that might seem <clears throat> might seem like an easy one for some, but more for beginners. I mean, like when I first found the game, there was there was a lot to learn, especially as far as the rules go. Posted a video recently talking about how to get more power on your serve. But in that, it shows me tossing the ball up while I serve. So my left hand is throwing the ball up before I serve with my right hand. And someone had commented, I thought you can't toss the ball in the air on the second serve. That's what you're doing. Um, so that's only on the, the drop serve, which is more of a bounce serve. You're letting go of the ball, letting it touch the ground, and then serving. Uh, which is a legal serve in rec play and in most amateur tournaments. And in that case, this person is correct. You can't apply any upward motion on the ball, so the ball can't come up before it comes down. You also can't uh, put downward force on the ball and bounce it hard on the ground. But that only applies to the drop serve. Whereas the serve I was doing, I'm hitting the ball out of the air, so technically I can throw it as high as I want. I wouldn't necessarily want to throw the ball super high like a tennis serve, um, but but you can if you want to. Anything to add to that, Oz? No, just something interesting is that Padel, that's the way that you serve, is you actually push down on the ball with your offhand, and then it lands on the ground, bounces back up, and then you serve low to high. So a lot oh, really? of people that come from Padel will have that as they start out. They'll have a, a bounce serve just because that's really comfortable for them. So we might see uh, it if we see some Padel players get converted over to pickleball. Might see it on the pro scene a little bit more. Yeah, that'd be cool. All right, let's move on to the next one then. <clears throat> uh, next question... Okay, a few weeks ago we were talking about how your dink sauce are more consistent. Um, let's say backhand to backhand. Your, one, your one-handed dinks are more consistent if you're lifting up your left elbow. I posted a, a video on this on Instagram. You guys can go and check it out. And you'll be able to see how that automatically kind of brings your right shoulder down and allows you to dink. Now, we got one of the questions we got is, do you do this for forehand dinks too, or only for the backhand? I'll let you take that one off. Yeah, so I just made a video about this on YouTube, actually, on Pickleball Playbook YouTube. If you guys check it out, this was probably two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, but it's how to hit a forehand slice dink. And then there's also how to hit a, a forehand topspin dink, and they're both very similar with what you do with your left elbow. I think I mention it in both, but what you want to do is that, that same thing. You're going to drop your right shoulder down now instead of, yeah, it would still be your right shoulder, and you're going to lift up that left elbow so long as you're a right-handed player. I feel like we never talk to the to the lefties out there. Supposed to say dominant and non-dominant, but yeah, <laughs> non-dominant. You want to make sure that you still put that elbow up, and then it's at the time, the timing of it all. So as you're moving out to hit your motion, you're going to detach your hands from each other. Obviously, your dominant hand is going to be holding on to the paddle, 
And at that moment, you're going to open right as you're hitting the ball. And you should have your le- your non-dominant elbow coming up as you hit it. So maybe we can make a video on that. But if you watch the pros, it's not quite as aggressively up as what you'd get with a backhand, but it's more kind of over and up uh, with a forehand, whether that's a forehand slice or a topspin forehand. What you're really doing is cocking your left, your non-dominant arm into your side as you're hitting it. And what that's going to allow you to do is not only put your right shoulder forward into the shot, but help you to be able to open up your body into the shot rather than staying closed into the shot. You won't be able to follow through to where you want to go. Won't be able to get as much spin. Won't be able to get as much power. So you kind of want to open up as you go. And so you just cock that. You're basically bending your elbow into your side and upward as you're hitting. What would you say, Spencer, for a forehand? Gotcha. And and I I don't really do that, and and maybe I need to so that mine is more consistent. But it made me think of, and don't tell me the results of. Don't tell me the results of this pro tournament because I haven't watched it all. But I was watching uh, Stax Root and and Tejas play the Johns brothers, and I noticed with Tejas, it seems like something that happens on his end when he's dinking. So he is left-handed. So for all you lefties out there with his right hand, and I'm sure it's just a, a brain thing and a comfort thing, but his right hand is like flexing outward uh, every once in a while. You'll see like it's like a reaction for him. But I think it's more of like a, um, it helps get him set. What's the word I'm looking for, Oz? Like so that he can stay in rhythm of his dinks. But his right hand is... Um, like opening up and closing while his left hand is is doing the dinking. Um, I'm sure it's, and, and it might be something, he may not even know that he does it. I would assume he knows that he does it, but anyone can go and, and watch now and see that, that, that he does it. But my guess is the reason that he's doing that, it's probably somewhat involuntary, but it's allowing him to more consistently hit his dinks with his left hand. But what what would you think it's for on on that end? I don't know if you've seen that before, Oz. I've never seen it. That's kind of funny though. I feel like everybody yeah. has their kind of their own thing that they kind of do. But yeah. I couldn't tell you why. But it's helping because he was a freaking baller during that match. Did you watch? Oh, have you watched the whole thing? I watched that whole match. Yes, okay, that's one of the best matches be real, of though. the year. Federico played good. Pablo played amazing, and. If there were two Pablos out there, one righty, one lefty, it, they would have won. <laughs> they would have pulled it out, and they had a game point. But it's not its not that Federico played horrible or anything like that, but Pablo definitely put him on his back at times, and there really wasn't yeah. that, that reciprocation there all the which way. Is, so. Which usually isn't the case. Yeah, Usually it's it's stacks that's agree. carrying them. So I'm I'm going to reach out to Pablo, see if we can get, get him on the pod. He said he would in the past, but then I never – Never followed up, um, but we'll see he's if he, someone that's dramatically improved, and that match proved it. Man, that was just nuts. Yeah, we'll see if he's down to talk some trash on Federico with us. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like they like each other, but they're more like brothers, so they're happy to talk yeah. trash on each other. He, he needs to get back at <laughs> Federico for what Federico said during his pod. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. When he picked Dylan Fraser over. Yeah, savage over Pablo. <laughs> yeah, he needs to. 
Anyway, that was a fun match to watch. The match that we're referring to is PPA Cincinnati. It's a quarterfinal. Pablo Tejas and Federico Staxrud are playing Ben and Colin Johns. Super fun match to watch if you guys want to check it out on, on YouTube. Um, what were we even talking about? Oh, lifting up that left elbow. Uh, so I, I don't really do anything that I'm aware of. I don't do anything voluntary. Um, but it sounds like you do and it's helpful for you. I know that everybody kind of has a little thing that, that will help them such as I can think of certain players that after each point will go back and touch the fence. Uh, quick, quick background story, and I'm sure Austin can relate to. Um, I'm uh, obsessive compulsive with things. Uh, it used to be really bad when I was younger um, to a point where I probably should have been on some medication or something, <laughs> like the way things would go into my head. I shouldn't make fun of people taking medication. I'm not at all. I'm just saying my OCD was was quite bad. Like I would I would do little things like tap my fingers and count while I was doing it. But then if my thumb started, that wasn't fair to my pinky, and so my pinky would have to start it. And then <laughs> that's also not fair because the pinky didn't get to start the first time, and so I would do that one first and go back and forth. And, and then all of a sudden I'm 20 minutes into counting on my fingers – with them fighting back and forth, you know what I mean? And it's all just a brain game. Or like always having to count all of the stairs or double those or not step on cracks. But I've gotten better over time and trained my brain to kind of get over those things. But at the same time, I know some of those things can be helpful to reset you before, you know, between each point. Like I said, if someone's going back and tapping the fence... You know, you don't have to be as weird as me with it, but doing certain little things that'll help keep you in the game or just repetition of things so that it just becomes um, natural you. for you. Yeah, it gets you yeah. in the zone, gets you in flow. Because What do you do, Wallace? <clears throat> well, that's funny. I never knew. I knew that you were OCD, we say, but you, I mean, you're nowhere near what OCD actually is. You know what I mean? But Right. But as a kid, I was the same. I wouldn't touch a crack. Uh, I, so it must be in our blood. Like I remember walking and I would walk with my head down specific times at like Disneyland and stuff. There's cracks everywhere. But I would literally walk with my head down and would never touch a crack the entire day. So I haven't really thought into it, but now I don't care. So I'm glad I grew out of it, I guess you could say. But uh, yeah, if I saw a YouTube video the other day. It was tennis, and it was a guy returning the ball, and it was scouts watching him. And the guy walks up to the fence, and he says, let's, hey, let's see if this guy's any good. And they watch him return the ball. They watch his whole like pre-routine before he returns the ball, and then they look at each other and just shake their head. And then the video gives you no information. So I went into the comment sections, and I was like, what's going on here? Why, like, why do they mm -hmm. not think this guy's good? And I'm pretty sure he won the point after that. But it was like instantly after he returned the ball, they just looked at each other and said no. And all the comment section said was the top pinned comment was all about how you need to have a routine to get you in the zone prior to hitting the ball. And that's what's going to separate an amateur player from a pro player is that they have their routine getting into it. So those of you that watch pickleball, obviously everybody watches pickleball, but those of you that watch tennis, 
Rafael Nadal has his own little skit that he goes through before he returns and before he serves. He does all of this kind of stuff. So I'm not saying go that intense. Please don't go that intense, but have something that you do <laughs> that gets you into the zone because that way, if you if you continue to go back to that, I like to tap the fence. That's what helps me. Or I like to just smack the side of my leg. I don't do it super hard if I'm returning and I don't want to go all the way back to the fence. It just gets you back mm-hmm. into, okay, next point. Shuts off whatever has happened before. Helps you to just focus on the now and what you're about to do. And really, hopefully, you can just keep your mind blank as you are playing and not be too focused on the technicality of it all, what you're doing with your left shoulder, stuff like, or left elbow, moving it up, stuff like that. Hopefully, you've focused on all that and drilling, and now you can get into the game and just focus on playing and playing your game, nothing technically. But, yeah, I think that's super important is having it before your turn or before you serve, having something that you do every single time help put you in the zone and then hopefully get you to flow, which is pretty pretty hard to get into. Yeah, that's a pretty awesome one, and it, and it happens. It's pretty rare. Like I've said before on the podcast, I run a lot. I run every day. And even in, in running and long-distance running, it's hard to get into that flow. But once you're in it, it's just like everything's easy. And that's happened to me on the pickleball court, but it's pretty rare when it happens when you're in that state. And just to clarify again, what we're not saying is that anyone whose brain functions properly, unlike mine, and who does not have OCD, you should try to get OCD. That's not what we're saying. We're just <laughs> saying to try to have something that will get you you know, in, into that state, uh, that state of um, I wouldn't say necessarily focus. I like how you say flow, that state of you're aware, you're there, but at the same time, uh, everything is smooth, everything is, is moving. Um, it's something that feels natural for you. Yeah, you want to play your best pickleball you've ever played. It, keep your mind blank. Don't focus on, oh, I didn't come up enough on that ball or I need to make sure that I'm cutting under the ball more. Don't focus on any of that. Don't focus on anything like that during an actual tournament game, and you'll get there. You'll get into flow at some point throughout the day. Maybe it's not the first game or the second game, but all of a sudden it's just like your mind's blank. All you're focused on is picking your spots and hitting them, and you're hitting them every single time. Everything's just working out, and it's because you're not thinking technically. You're relaxed. You're just allowing your body to rely on muscle memory, which is exactly what it was designed for. So what yeah, is that's cool. What's the next question or was that it? No, uh, next one is Sweet. some additional speed up tips. So we had posted we had posted a video that would was talking about a certain speed up. But what are some speed up tips you can give us? Um, I don't know, as far as either when or how or what not to do. What do you think? Yeah, I think I speed up way too often. And that's probably because we don't have pros where we live or we don't have super high level players that where when you speed up, it gets chomped all the time. Or I feel like I I get away with a lot. So I would say really focus on only speeding up if the ball is above the net or if you want to catch your opponent off guard, maybe it's not above the net. 
and you haven't sped up the entire match so far, so they're not expecting it. I'd say really sparingly. focus on, on dinking. What were you saying? I just said sparingly, yeah. Sparingly, yeah. So do it sparing, sparingly. Really, really focus on dinking, hitting your spots, keeping it cross-court majority of the time, hitting a couple up the middle, and then randomly. I mean, obviously, whenever you have the opportunity and it's above the net, you need to take it. Hit it at their right hip. Hit it at their right shoulder if they're righty. Obviously, vice versa if they're lefty. But you have to take your opportunity when it is there. But just don't don't start speeding up stupid shots and speeding up way too often. If you're speeding up once a point, that's way too much. If you're speeding up a couple times a game, that's sometimes way too much. So just focusing on taking the right shots, I think, is what my advice would be for speeding up. What about you? No, that's a great one. And to stay you know, to stay focused in the match and be able to consistently dink without without having to speed up. You know, sometimes the anxiety can get to you in a long dink match and you're like, All right, I'm that guy, I'm speeding it up. And then after you do it, you're like, Man, that was a dumb speed up. Yeah. Every time. So so yeah, like you said, trying not to speed up unless the ball is is high is a great one. Or if not, do it sparingly. Um, something that I've learned too, uh, even more recently, I posted a video recently of a speed up or an attack at the person. Um, I'm focused on lately not trying to hit the person that I'm attacking, but just speeding up high on their body. But my aim should still be in the court and my speed should still be in the court. So I'm still aiming for deep court, but it just happens to be in their high shoulder or head area before it drops in the court. And lots of times they'll let it go because they think it's going long. I, I just think your speed up should almost always be focused on trying to hit the ball in the court, even if it is at somebody, instead of through somebody. Like, okay, this person's standing straight up. I'm going to nail them. All of a sudden, they duck, and your ball goes 10 feet out. And then you feel like an idiot. Yeah, and you just feel dumb for doing that. It's like, one, you tried to hit them, which isn't very smart. And then two, and, and they're probably upset about, and two, then it went way out. Whereas my any uh, speed-up tip right now would be focus on if you are going to attack, you can still be fast. Make sure it has enough topspin on it, and it's not too fast. Make sure that you're still aiming in the court. Um, I think I think we have uh, one or two others here. Someone was asking for step-by-step -step inst instructions for a slice forehand drop. Um, I'll let you go first on that one, Austin, okay. and I'll and then I'll follow up but more of a slice forehand drop rather than topspin. Yeah, I love a slice forehand drop. I think it's underrated too because you see all the pros and it's pretty rare for them to hit, majority of them to hit a slice forehand drop. Majority of them are hitting topspin. But then you look at Colin Johns. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he hits a slice forehand drop majority of the time and he has one of the best drops in the game. The advantage to hitting a forehand slice drop is that it's probably going to be more consistent than a topspin one. 
because you're hitting up on the ball, which is what a drop was made for. Whereas when you're hitting top spin, that ball's going to drop back down and you're hitting up on the ball. So it just makes it kind of more difficult to hone it in directly over the net. Anyways, with a slice drop, what you want to do is cut under the ball. So I like to always say, give the ball a haircut. You want to act like there's literal hair fibers on the edge of the ball. And you want to give it a haircut with the face of your paddle. And the way that you're essentially going to do it, you don't want to have a huge upswing way up over your shoulder. I like to start at my shoulder and I don't go behind my shoulder. That's also important. Come to your shoulder with the paddle face and direct alignment with your shoulder. And then you're going to go down under the ball and then finish towards where you want to go. So you're creating kind of this ramp that you go down and back up slightly. I like to refer to it as more so of a Nike swoosh backwards. So you start at the top of the swoosh, you're going to come down it, and then you finish kind of outward. So I'm not coming down the ramp, back up the ramp, right? I'm just coming down the ramp and slightly back up. My paddle face is still facing upward as I hit the ball, keeping it super simple. That's going to allow you to get all that slice on there. I wouldn't recommend hitting a slice uh, drop if you are just beginning playing or you're haven't quite reached that 3-5 level. You're not winning 3-5 tournaments. I would say to more so just focus on a block drop. So you're going to start low. You're going to keep your paddle face open. And then you're going to finish at about chest height. So you start around waist height, finish chest height. And one more important thing to note, whether you're hitting slice, topspin, or just flat straight through a drop, you want to hit the ball. It's it's different from every other stroke. You want to hit it as the ball comes to its apex and that it's starting to travel back downwards. Right as it starts to travel back downwards, that's the optimal time to hit it. And that's when you'll be most consistent with where the ball goes. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I explained that well enough, but I love a slice drop. No, you did great. I don't even I don't even have to address it now. Okay. So I will say uh, for me it's actually easier now to hit a slice drop than it is to hit a top spin drop. I don't know why. So a top spin drop is more prone to be hitting you're more prone to hit it into the net and then a slice you're more prone to pop it up for them to give you a high overhead. Yeah. So you just got to find that that happy medium to where you're not going too much on the slice and you're not going too much on the on the top spin and the best way to do that is by drilling it over and over. But I think no, I think your explanation is fantastic. Okay, last question. This this relates to covering for your partner. Um specifically they're asking how do I cover for my partner if they if they poach? And I think we should turn this into how do you cover for your partner in general? Um, so there's the poach, which we know you're crossing over to your opponent's side. Sorry, you're crossing over to your partner's side when the opponent's hit it over there and typically hitting that ball out of the air in order to put it away because your partner is back. If you do that, you need to make sure and put it away, but the person the other partner who's not hitting the ball needs to know without you even saying it now that now that my partner has poached in front of me i need to switch over to the other side 
Um, same thing goes for, we posted recently, pretending like you have a rope tied to each other and you're kind of sticking with each other. When, when your partner goes to the left, you should be shifting towards the left as well. When you go to the right, your partner should be shifting towards the right. That way, if you hit an ATP around the post, or if you're hitting an Ernie on your side, in case the opponent does hit it back, your partner's hugging over there, coming over a little bit to cover for you while you're off the court, basically, with the ATP or the Ernie. But how would you answer that question, Oz? How should you be um, covering for your partner if they're poaching? Yeah, so with an ATP and Ernie, it's going to be different because we're going to act like that string is connected to us because chances are if you hit, let's say you're the one hitting the the Ernie, right? So you jump the kitchen, you hit down the line with your shot. The odds of them being able to hit that ball, now they're, they're reacting to a ball that was just hit, give or take eight feet away from them instead of 14 feet away from them because you jumped over the kitchen. Their reaction time is going to make them hit that ball back up the line 98% of the time. Yeah. And 2% of the time, they're going to shank it, and they're going to hit a winner over to the cross-court shot, which it's like if they do hit that, then it's not like they nothing deserve it do. necessarily. But what would you say? <laughs> what? Nothing you can do. Yeah, nothing you can do except for just say frick them, move on to the next point. <laughs> but what – that's when you want to have that string connected. Whereas when your partner is poaching, they can only poach if you're back, right? Because if you guys are both at the kitchen line, your partner poaches, you run into each other. So that wouldn't make sense. So let's just give them uh, an instance of what this would look like is if you are the person driving the ball, you guys are doing a shake and bake, you drive the ball, your partner poaches, they're up, you're back. All you have to do is create an X. You're just going to go across from each other. You need to make sure that you guys have communicated together that once they poach, they're on that side fully committed. You're fully committed to their side. You're staying back. You're not moving forward until you see where their ball is placed. If their ball is placed low in a good location near the feet of the opponent, now you're cutting in towards where they just were as after you guys mm -hmm. have switched sides. If their ball is placed high, you just hang back, and now you're hitting drops trying to get back into the point. So it, you can't really say that there's a string necessarily connected, but there is kind of this opposite gravitational pull where they poach, you go to the opposite side, and then it just depends on where their ball went, depending on if you go up forward or backward. Ball's low, you stay back. Ball's high. Sorry, ball is low, you go forward. Ball is high, you stay back. Until you can come forward, just wait for that good ball. What would Excellent you say? advice. No, I, I I think the most important part of of uh, of what you're saying there is making sure you communicate beforehand with your partner what it is you're gonna do. Like, hey, yeah. so if you're poaching and we switch, we need to stay. We're not gonna try to midpoint try to get back to our positions. You know, or you may say beforehand. Once you're po you know, say you're more advanced, I wouldn't do this, but hey, once once you once you poach, we're gonna switch, but then we'll try to, if we can, get back in our positions. But make sure you communicate that information with, with each other beforehand so that you know, okay, once we switch, 
we're staying we're staying here so you're not questioning it trying to inch back over to your line and then losing the point because you didn't decide beforehand what you guys were going to do exactly that's an awesome point Oss. um that's it for questions this week send us your questions i'm sure we'll do another episode like this we hope we hopefully this was helpful for you you got anything else Oss? No, nothing else. We appreciate you guys joining us, and we will see you guys on the next one. Peace out. Later.